All right, so life lesson from prison number one, not all ball guys look the same, all right? So enjoy that one, yes, yes, we had fun making that. Uh, we're going to have a lot more of those coming. It's going to be a good week, a good, good series here. So here in this series, uh, I'm really excited about this because we're going to be talking about all the people that we can look at throughout Scripture who have been in prison and kind of learn from them how they were able to get through it, how they were able to have certain perspectives. Now, a few things here. Now, obviously, um, if you know me well, you know I've never been in prison, although I'm I'm willing to go if you mess with my daughter, okay? So just throw that out there. They'll never even find your body. Not very loving, but I said it, okay? Just just getting that out there, okay? So I've never been, so you're not going to be learning from me. We're going to be looking to Scripture at people who were in prison cells, and yet, man, what perspective they had. What incredible things they went through, and yet were able to get through with joy, with hope, with peace, with strength. And so we're going to look and maybe find out some of their secrets. The other thing, of course, is that you're here today, so you're not in prison either, right? And so you're thinking, well, what's the relevance of this series? If I'm not in prison, what does this have to do with my life? Well, it has to do with the fact that even though you're not in a literal prison cell, don't we all kind of have situations in our life that can sometimes feel like prison cells, right? Some of you here today... We are just walking through some situations where we're feeling incredibly confined or restricted. And sometimes it just feels like we're stuck in a prison. I'll give you some examples. Some of you guys are stuck in a prison of fear right now. It's been an ongoing struggle. You've done all you know to do, and you just kind of feel stuck in that thing, right? Others of us in the room, maybe it's a really broken relationship. Your parents' relationship, your own relationship with somebody, and you're just like, man, I feel like I am so enslaved by this thing, I don't even know how to get out of it. I don't know what to do next. You know what's a big one for many of us in the room? Unfulfilled expectations. Man, that's a prison, right? Man, I thought I was going to be further along. I thought things were going to be a little bit better by now. I thought that the money would have come through by now. I thought I would have known what I'd be doing for life. Man, I just didn't see this coming. And now my expectations are completely blown out of the water. And I'm stuck, right? There's all kinds of different things that we can feel really, really captivated by. One of them is waiting, right? Man, I, I thought that God was going to come through already. I thought this trial would be over. I thought this wouldn't be where I still am. And yet, we're really, really imprisoned by our waiting. Sometimes there's nothing worse than feeling imprisoned or restricted or confined. When my little daughter, who I'm now threatening people about, was just one year old, um, I was at work, and I get a phone call, and it's my wife, and she's kind of frantic, and she says, Bryn wanted to play Cade's drums, and so... He, she, she crawled over next to them, and she grabbed the snare drum, tried to pull herself up to be able to play, and she actually pulled the snare drum over on her, and it hit her right here. In fact, I have a picture. There's a little bird. Now, this isn't her right after it happened. Like, she's incredibly happy. You know, no. Uh, this is after, and you can see here, right in here in the middle of her, her nose and in between the eyes there, she had to have stitches. And the worst part of it was we took her to the hospital, and they had to put her in a straitjacket. Because they didn't want her trying to interfere and stop them or, you know, pull at the stitches. And so here are Kelly and I. We were escorted out of the room. And Bryn is completely confined and restricted in this straitjacket. And we're outside hearing our little baby cry. And it's okay. They never found the body of that doctor yet either. So that's, so I'm, that's two for two right there. All right. So here we are. And that is a perfect picture of what some of you feel like right now. Just stuck. It feels like I'm in a straitjacket. What do I do? Now, there's all kinds of things you can be feeling this about, and maybe I didn't mention yours, but you know. You know what that thing is that you just kind of feel enslaved to. And as we think about that thing today, I want to talk with you 
about something that I really felt God led me to. I had a whole different plan today. In fact, if you were here last Sunday, I gave a little message, a little commercial, rather, about what I'd be talking about today, and that's not the message we're doing. Because all week long, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, and I'm just feeling like, that's not the message. There's something else we need to talk about today. And so today, I want to talk with you about how to worship in your prison cell. Now, some of you guys might say, well, what's worship? What does that mean? If you're here for the first time, again, so glad you're here. But what, what does that word worship mean? Well, here's my definition for today, okay? You guys could check out on the screens. Worship is seeing God for who he is, enjoying him, and responding with praise and gratitude. See, I think so often we hear, hey, you should worship God. And it feels like this thing we're kind of roped into, you know what I mean? Like, you must do this. It feels like God's commanding this thing that we have to do. But if you've been around before, you've heard me talk about guys like John Piper and C.S. Lewis who helped us realize that when God invites us to worship, he's not trying to drag something out of us that's going to torment us. He's actually trying to free us. He's trying to draw us to our greatest enjoyment. What does that mean? We see the most great, amazing thing out there, God, and then we respond to that enjoyment. Just think about it this way, right? Think about just natural life. Um, unfortunately, the Mets aren't doing so hot right now, so I'm going to use the Yankee illustration. I know you don't all pass out on me at once, okay? I'm not going to start liking country music next. Don't worry, okay? But here, just imagine you're at a Yankee game, and Aaron Judge hits his next home run, right? Was he at 31, something ridiculous, right? He's incredible. Aaron Judge hits his, hits his next home run. You've seen greatness on display. Just imagine you're, this is interesting, just sort of, okay, just taking it in, just, just quiet and, no, that, that would be destroying the moment, right? You just saw greatness. What are you supposed to do? Oh my gosh, you did it again. You're high-fiving strangers, right? You're all excited. And that's what God invites us into when he says, hey, worship me. He's not saying do it because he's insecure or he's frail. He's saying, I want you to see the greatest thing out there. And he knows that's him. And he's not cocky to say it. He really is the greatest thing out there for us to satisfy our hearts. And so he says, worship me. See me for who I am, enjoy me, respond with praise and gratitude. And I want to talk with you about how to do that when you feel like you're in prison. Because that's the place it's hardest, right? None of us feel like worshiping when we're in our, in our place of confinement and restriction, right? And, and the interesting thing is, is in those places, in those prisons, when we find ourselves there, so often our joy is stolen. And our worship is stolen. And our praise is stolen. You know what happens when all those get stolen? We stop living and we just simply start surviving. We're just in survival mode. As I was getting ready for the message this week, I was actually able to talk with someone who worked in high desert state prison. And here's a picture of it. That place looks pretty intense. It's in California and it's a maximum security prison. And she said they have psychopaths, sociopaths, cannibals, murderers. This is the worst of the worst. You're not planning your next vacation, right, to high state prison, okay? Worst of the worst there. And you know what she said about the prisoners? She said that they are hopeless and everything they do, they do simply to survive. And that's what it can feel like for you and me too sometimes when we're in the prison. Our joy is gone, our worship is gone, our praise is gone, our vision for anything beyond is gone, and we've become hopeless and worshipless. And so today, I want to talk about, man, how do we worship even in the midst of that prison? Because if worship is God inviting us to see him for who he is, enjoy him and respond, and this is supposed to be the moment where we're most alive, then we've got to figure out how to still be able to worship even when life is really, really difficult. And you know what? The truth is this. You and I, we will go through difficult things. The choice is ours how we're going to go through it, right? 
Either we're going to go through it miserable and joyless, or we're going to go through it praising and worshiping and full of life. We're all going to go through hard stuff, but that choice is ours. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can relate to some of this, right? Even if you would say, well, I don't know about all this worship, praise stuff, but you've gone through the hard things. Some of you are here today. You feel like you're in a straight-up prison, don't you? And today, I want you to see the power of worship and praise in the midst of your prison. I also, later, I want to tell you about the biggest prison God ever busted you and I out of. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some guys named Paul and Silas. Now, as soon as I said that, if you've been a Christian for more than three years, you were like, I know this story. Wake me up when the worship starts again. I remember this one. I know this story. It's too familiar, Doug. You're seriously going to talk about Paul and Silas? Well, here's my prayer. My prayer is that God will take us deep down into what, for many of you, is a familiar story. And you and I will see and take away some things that we've never seen before. And so as we work through this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a little context here, okay? I thought about skipping this part, but I think the right move is to talk about it. So here's what's going on. In Acts chapter 16, you guys can open up your Bibles if you want. The verses will be on the screen too in just a minute. But in Acts 16, Paul and Silas encounter a woman who's telling the future. She can tell the future, okay? Now again, this is off topic. This has nothing to do with worship, but I felt it was so important in our day that we just pause and we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming in just a minute and talk about this. What's the deal with this lady who can tell the future? And this is going to be really relevant in the story later, okay? Well, when someone can, is claiming they can tell the future, you have two possibilities. One, they're a complete quack, right? Totally crazy, have no ability. They just are going to try and steal from you or rip you off, and they're going to keep all the, the prophecies or revelations very generalized, you know, very safe. Oh, Mr. Jensen, I sense you had some hair in your past. Well, yes, I did. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. You know, very general, very obvious, right? But then there are people who, man, they seem to have a gift, right? They seem to actually be able to somehow see things that they shouldn't be able to see. Well, what's with that? Well, Here's what I think that is. As we look at Scripture, you see that in the Bible, there's something called prophecy, right? And that's God's amazing gift of giving someone the ability to see something that's going to come. And I think sometimes when you find someone with a legit gift like that, I think that if they're not in touch with God and the Holy Spirit, then that is Satan really kind of taking a hold of that gift and distorting it and misusing it. And so in this Scripture, we find out that's exactly what's going on. Here's this woman who can tell the future, and we find out it's actually an evil spirit that's giving her that ability. Now, why do I go on this little rabbit trail with you today? Because I just want to remind you of a few things, okay? I want to remind you, first of all, that Satan's power in this way is incredibly limited. Like, think about it. On Friday, he had Jesus on the cross and he thought, I won. He didn't even know three days later he lost. He couldn't even see three days into the future Jesus was coming back out of that grave, right? Second thing, all throughout Scripture, and I won't even get deeper into the rabbit trail here, all throughout Scripture, you find that God's power compared to Satan's is off the charts. Satan's power, it, is, it exists, but it's minimal. And so why do I say all this? Well, it's going to lead into our story in just a minute, but I also say it to say that we don't need to be seeking fortune tellers or palm readers or psychics. No, we seek God. And he'll tell us what we need to know when we need to know. Okay? So, now back to our regularly scheduled program. I got a couple of amens, so I know we're supposed to do that. I'll take it. Thank you. Awesome. Good stuff. I'll pay you later. Cool. So, in Acts 16, Paul casts this evil spirit out of this woman. And it causes some problems. Check out the screens. 
When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And here we go, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stock. So they're not just thrown into prison, they're thrown in the inner cell, which is where they would put the worst of the worst. And it was dark there all day long. It was cold, it was wet, and their feet were in stocks. And you might ask the question, why did he put them in the inner prison? Maybe he heard about a guy who was in a tomb and kind of escaped. Seems to be alive today. Maybe he heard about a guy named Peter who escaped from prison a little earlier in the story. Maybe these Christians have some power they don't want to mess with. And so they put them in the inner prison. And then verse 25 We kind of get to our key verse here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know why I would have been doing that. Would you have been doing that? You were beaten, humiliated, arrested, in a dark, damp, cold place, chains around your feet. Would you be singing praises and hymns to God? Yet that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. How were they able to do this? This is big because this is how you and I are able to do this. There's only one way Paul and Silas could have done this. Check out the screens. Paul and Silas were able to worship because they were focused on God's goodness even in the prison cell. You see, here's what I know about myself, and it's probably true about you too. During the times when we're in these refinements, when we're in these, in these prisons and, and we're restricted and we're confined, you know what I often do? I can only focus on my prison cell. I lose sight of all the other blessings God's given me. I lose sight of all the goodness that's still in him even when I'm in the prison. And all I can focus on is the prison cell. But Paul and Silas didn't fall for that. They, they saw past their cells. They saw past the darkness and the damp and the cold and, and they're looking down at their wounds. And they saw past all of that and were able to still see the goodness of God. Check out this little chart we put together on the screens here. Think about it. In prison and out of prison, all these things are true of them. They're alive in both places. They're saved. They're loved. They're forgiven. They're given joy. They're given peace, both in and prison and out. Jesus died for them, whether they're in or out. Heaven awaits for them, whether they're in or out of prison. The only difference is, in prison, they're behind bars, and out of prison, they're free. And you know what? So often, I can only think about the fact that I'm in prison. I can't think about the fact that I'm still saved, I'm still loved, I still have peace, I still have joy. Isn't that a struggle for you too? Isn't that where we kind of lose it? Isn't that where everything kind of falls apart? But Paul was able to say, no, 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 I'm going to keep focused on the goodness of God even in this confining situation that I wish weren't true of me right now. So Paul and Silas were worshiping God, and then it says this, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And this is where some of you go, oh, wow, cool, isn't that a great ending? And then some of, some of you, though, you have a very different response. You go, oh, come on, really? Paul worships and everything just starts going good for him. I worship, everything seems to stay bad. 
right? Paul worships, and the chains fall off, and the doors fly open, and birds start coming in singing, land on his shoulder, and there's a rainbow, and it doesn't work like that for me. Well, a couple thoughts on that. First of all, think about this. Paul didn't know the chains were going to come off when he started worshiping. You know, some of us here in the room, like if we're honest, sometimes we worship so that the chains will fall off and that the doors will open. And it's okay to seek God for stuff. And we're a church believes in healing, believes God puts relationships back together. I mean, we just stood and prayed for all these things just a few minutes ago, right? But sometimes we worship almost to get from God. We almost say, God, if I just raise my hands a little higher here, maybe the chains will start falling off. No. See, here's what we need to know. Paul wasn't praising God so that the chains would break off. Paul was praising God because God is awesome. Whether the chains are on or the chains are off. Paul was saying, okay, I'm going to make, and this is the key, the choice in the middle of my confinement that God is still good and that he's still worthy to be praised. And I can see beyond my wounds and I can see beyond these walls that he is still good. Verse 27 says, The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Well, why would he do that? Because in this culture, you lose a prisoner, you're probably going to be publicly executed for it. And so the prison guard just thought, I'm just going to take my own life here. But then, verse 28 says this, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. Paul, I don't really know if you're getting this whole prison break thing down here. I'm just wondering if some angels were watching. Like, Paul, did you not just see all God just did for you? And now you're giving yourself back up. What's Paul doing here? Why is this going on? Why is, he, why is he staying in the prison? See, that's exactly what we need to focus on for a second. You see, Paul could have been free. He worshipped, God showed up, and he could have just gone. But Paul stayed in the prison cell on purpose. Why would he do that? Why would Paul stay there? Stay there. You know what Paul didn't do? He didn't go, oh good, God, see, my fake worship tricked you into freeing me so now I can just go and be out of this problem. No. Look what happened. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What is Paul realizing here? What what is he understanding? This is key for us, guys. God is up to something in your prison cell. There's purpose in your prison cell. Nothing's wasted. But I thought the finances would be here by now. Okay, there's a purpose. But I thought the relationship would be healed by now. I thought my body would be healed by now. I thought that I'd have the direction. I thought I would have the leading. I thought that I would understand by now. I thought I wouldn't be afraid anymore. I thought I'd feel secure by now. Okay. Well, God very well might come through on all those things, but there's a purpose in your prison cell. Well, what's the purpose here? What's God up to? Verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately him and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. God was up to something in that prison cell. He was there to save that jailer that night. And here's a thought. Paul's chains falling off was more for the jailer than it was for Paul. Think about that. I think those chains fell off. Yeah, God was trying to do something for Paul. 
But I think even more so, he was doing something in the heart of that jailer. And that's why Paul stayed there. That's why he just stayed and said, man, God's up to something here. I'm going to hang out and see what's going on here. God's trying to use this. God's up to something. And you know what that tells me, guys? That God might just be wanting to work in the lives of the people around you while you're still in the prison. You know what I think? A lot of time we think, man, God, if you would just heal my wife, you would get so much glory. You know what I think? God draws a lot of people into himself while they're still sick and we worship anyway. God, if you would come through for our church and give us a new building and it would just be so easy, God. I mean, this is all your land anyway. What's the problem? All right, well, I'm going to come through for your church, but what if you worship me right now and people see you still love me even when there's really not any certainty yet about what's next? You see, I think God's up to something in the prison cell and people are watching. Harry Ironside says this, the world is watching Christians and when they see Christians shaken by circumstances as they themselves, they conclude that after all, there's very little to Christianity. But when they find Christians rising above circumstances and glorying in the Lord even in deepest trial, then even the unsaved realize the Christian has something in knowing Christ to which they are strangers. You know what I've heard a lot over the last six months as my wife's been in and out of hospitals and been going through so much? I've heard many of you say, we can't believe how Kelly's going through this. We can't believe how she keeps loving God, how she keeps worshiping Jesus, how she keeps talking about God, how she keeps praying, how she keeps believing. You know, that means that when we're in the prison and we're suffering, people are watching. And when we keep worshiping, people lean in. People go, wow, I don't get this, but I want this. Because everybody else in the prison is just surviving. And they're hopeless and they're worshipless and they're praiseless. But when they see you and I continue to worship our God in the midst of it, they, they go, man, this God must be pretty outstanding. He must be really worth it. What do they know that I don't know? What do they have that I don't have? What's interesting about these verses is I always kind of thought, I'm 39, I've been a Christian my whole life. I always kind of thought the story ended here. I, I never realized that Paul and Silas, even though they weren't still in the prison bars, literally in the prison facility, they were still in custody. They were at the jailer's house. I always kind of thought, yay, happy ending, the big bow, you know, it all worked out. No, they're still in the jailer's custody. In fact, as we're going to read now, they're not released until the next morning. The jailer just knew that they weren't going to try to run away. So he said, hey, I'm going to bring these guys home and clean them up. I'm going to feed them. But they were still under his custody. Look what it says in verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with their order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. And so now they're free. But that whole time, they stayed. Why? Because they knew God had purpose in their prison cell. He was up to something. And they weren't going to go until he said go. Some of you guys might say, yeah, but Doug, he still get, they still get their happy ending. Well, another little thought on that. If you know the story of Paul, what was waiting for him in the years to come? More prison cells, right? More difficulty, more restriction, more confinement, more difficulty. And you know what? You know what that tells me? And I'm not trying to be a downer. I mean, if you cut me, I bleed optimism. I hate to even bring this up. But the truth is, guys, 
If we are in our current prison cell saying, I will worship on the other side of this, the news is, when we get out of this one, down the road there's probably another one. There's another restriction. There's something else that's going to try to confine us. There's another uh, hill to scale, so to speak. And as long as we decide, I'll worship when I get out there, we're never going to worship. We've got to start worshiping while we're still in the prison cell. And you know what? I believe chains fall off and doors fly open and God does break things off. But if we're waiting for that perfect scenario, we're not going to have that till heaven. That is coming. Let me get you excited about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the series. But but heaven's coming. But for now, while we're here, Jesus says, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I've over." overcome the world, right? And so we keep our eyes on him and we continue to walk through this. This past week, I had the opportunity to meet with an old friend. I hadn't seen him in seven years. His name was Mike Brennan. Well, he's, it still is. He's not dead. So I uh, haven't seen him in seven years. He was a pastor on Long Island and we got to talk and hang out. We sat in Starbucks and we just talked and we were talking about how seven years ago, me, him, and two other pastors on Long Island, we used to get together every single week and we would pray and we would hold each other accountable about stuff and we would laugh and we would eat. And one of the things we would do, though, is we would talk about our frustrations. We would talk about, really, our prisons that we felt we were in. And so there we are talking. And you know what Mike and I realized this past week? We realized that none of the prisons that we were in seven years ago existed, but there were some new ones. And we looked at each other and said, man, maybe that's just life. I know some of you are saying, man, I'm glad I got up early. I gave the kids their weekly shower, threw them in the minivan, and got here because it's some encouraging stuff, Doug. No, see, I think it is encouraging because life is hard. Life is difficult, but you can choose joy and you can choose worship and you can choose praise because you can keep your eyes on the goodness of God through the entire prison cell. You see, here's the deal. I can think back on my life and I can tell you all the different restrictions and confinements that I was experiencing in different stages of my life. Middle school, horrific insecurity. I'm the only one, apparently. In the first service, there was a tremendous gasp. It was like, why would you even bring that up? The awkward years, right? Horrific insecurity. Oh, my gosh. High school, a lot of impurity. College, a lot of horrific insecurity and a lot of impurity. Young adulthood, doubt and depression. First-time homeowner, um, went good at first. Then Kelly and I decided we were going to rent out the bottom portion of our house in an apartment to somebody um i'm trying to remember her name oh, it was satan that's right yes that that's what it was lucifer i think it said on the on the apartment contract lucifer um yeah but it, she was the worst um I, I literally can't even tell you all the things she was doing down there one thing i can say is that when she left uh i overheard her telling her son i was on the other side of the wall she's in her part of the apartment i, I heard her tell her son that when they leave when they move out they're going to put a rag in the tub and they're going to turn it on they're going to flood the basement of our house. I mean, this woman, I told you, Lucifer, okay? And so, you know, I could, I could look back on all the stages of my life, and you know what I can tell you? I can tell you I miss so much joy and so much worship and so much praise, and I was in survival mode through so much of that. And I can tell you today the, the current restrictions I'm feeling, the current confinements and the current prisons, and we just got to decide I'm going to praise through it. I'm going to worship through it. I'm going to have joy through it. I'm going to keep my eyes on the goodness of God through it. I'm just not going to look at my prison walls. I'm going to look past them. I'm going to look higher. Right? Paul says, hey, have a higher vision. 
Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't get entangled with all this present current stuff. No, keep your eyes on what Jesus has done for you. To go back, man, and be able to live some of those years again with joy. Be able to walk through some of those same trials with with worship and with praise and say, no, God, I'm going to keep my eyes on your goodness. Yes, all those things are true of me. All those difficulties are true. But man, God, you're still great. You're, you're, You're awesome. You're amazing. I don't deserve anything I have from you. And I have so much. And so as we've worked our way through, for some of you guys, a familiar story, what I hope you guys will take away from this is that the key to all this is focus on God's goodness and you will praise in the prison. That's the key. That's what Paul and Silas understood, that they were going to keep their eyes on God's goodness. And we have to remember a few things. We have to remember that there is a purpose to the prison. Nothing's wasted. It's for a reason. God's up to something, and people are watching. God just might be doing something in the lives of the people around you through what you're going through right now. And just remember, don't wait to start praising until those prison doors come off because there's another refining situation you're going to go through down the road, another restriction and another confinement. And we have to make the choice today to continue to worship anyway. We focus on how good God is. Let's bring up our chart again here. So in your prison or out of your prison, you are alive, you are saved, you are loved, you're forgiven, you're given joy, you're given peace. Jesus died for you. Heaven awaits you. The only difference is those bars. And you can focus on them and be miserable and joyless and worshipless. Or we can look past them and keep our eyes on the goodness of God. And if we do, we will be living life at the highest level, no matter where we are. Does some of you kind of wish you had the joy that Paul had in the prison cell, even just like going through your daily week? I know I do. I I want that. I mean, Paul was living large, beaten up, chained to a wall because he was able to keep his eyes on the goodness of God. Some of us don't have that on our best day when all all things in our life are going right. But here, you, you and I, we have the opportunity because God says, hey, worship me, not just because I'm some vain, insecure God. No, worship me because when you do, you are seeing the greatest thing in all existence, you're enjoying me to the fullest, and then you're responding in praise, and that's when you're most alive. And that's the opportunity you and I have to walk in every single day. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I told you earlier, I was going to tell you about the greatest prison God ever busted anybody out of, and that's the prison of our sin. That's the prison of our eternal separation from God. See, Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could know him, so we could fully enjoy him, and so you and I would not have to carry the weight and the consequences of our sin. So if you want to put your trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But I just want to close part one here with a story about a guy named Yang Hua. Yang is a pastor in China. Several years ago, Chinese government arrested him with no trial, and they gave all kinds of false accusations about why they imprisoned him. He's still in prison, and he was imprisoned because he's not only a Christian, but a pastor. The government have threatened his life and his family's life. People in prison have stepped on his feet. They've stomped on his legs and his feet to try to coerce um, confessions out of him and to try to intimidate him. They've done all kinds of terrible things to him. One of the prosecutors told him that they were an expert in torture, that they would do things to him 
that would harm him in such terrible ways, but no one would be able to identify what they'd done to him. They would never be able to detect it. Yang's wife wrote him a letter, and I want to read you a letter he wrote back to her about eight months ago. This is what he says. After reading your letter, I know some of your concerns. Praise the Lord. Never be dejected and despondent. Always look up at our Lord and always keep the spiritual life. This is our key. Keep the spiritual life above the chaos of the real environment. What's he saying? He's saying, my real environment is a prison cell. It's torture. It's being beaten. I don't know when I'm getting out of here. If I were to focus on that, I would lose it. But I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus, on God, on his goodness above that environment. Then he says, rest in God's arms. And then he quotes Psalm 20, verse 7. Some rely on chariots, some on horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Why is this guy able to do this? I mean, this guy is like a hero to us, a modern-day hero to us. How can he do this? Because he focuses on God's goodness. He keeps his eyes not on the prison cell, not on the beatings, not on the torture. Now he focuses on God's goodness and he's able to praise in his prison. You know what? If you and I will make the choice, we'll be able to do exactly that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you've given us not just ancient people to look at, but modern ones like Yang. People in way worse conditions than we are today. So that we can look at them and say, wow, God is so good and so real that he is worthy of all of our praise, whether we're in a cell or whether we are free. And God, we come today to say, God, we want to be those people living large even in the midst of our prisons. And yes, you heal, and yes, you change relationships, and you provide finances, and you guide us and direct us, and you do all the things we need you to do, God. But thank you that we're going to make the choice today to worship you first, before the chains fall off, before the money comes through. God, you are good before my wife's healed. You're good before you provide a new facility for us, God. You're good today. So God, we come to you, and we thank you that we can keep our eyes on your goodness, the billion blessings that we have that we do not deserve. If you're a follower of Jesus, bring him your prisons. Absolutely, bring him those restrictions and those confinements in your life and, and, and say, God, would you deliver me? Would you come through? Of course, do that. But praise him now. Yes, because he's worth it. Yes, because he's good, but also because he loves you so much, it's going to bring you to your greatest If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, you just pray something like this quietly. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for dying in my place. Jesus, you're my only hope. Thank you that you love me so much you got on a cross and you gave yourself for me. Forgive me for my sin. Show me how real you are. God, give me the grace to praise in the prison cell.